we get raised, and I think it's changing now, but we get raised with a lot of really unhelpful sort of beliefs and customs. And um, there are certain things that I think are more culturally based, and then there are certain things that I, I think are pretty pretty epidemic throughout masculinity, right? And some of them are things like asking for help. We get raised in a lot of ways really not to ask for help and to rely on ourselves and to isolate in that way, which sometimes works and sometimes can leave us really, really desperately afraid. Um, another one is all the stigmas that hit a lot of different people about, um, you know, feeling crazy or, you know, all of the other negative things that people say about therapy in general. I think a lot of us um, don't really know how it works. You know, having not been in it before, I certainly didn't know how it worked before I got into it. And, and my dad was a therapist. And like, if that gives you an idea, a, a gifted therapist, and we just didn't really talk about it, I think in part because he worked with people with pretty significant um, mental illnesses, schizophrenia, you know, really serious psychiatric disorders. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it much. And so I didn't really know how the process went. And so I think when you see it in the movies, um, this person like sort of digs a spoon into your skull and then they make you cry a whole bunch and then you get to be vulnerable and sad. And, and you know, understandably men don't really want that. I didn't want that. I felt like I started therapy on my own. And this is this is one of the things that I think makes me adept at working with men. I started therapy on my own because I was in a different field and I was really miserable. And I finally got to a place where I was so anxious and upset that I just felt like I couldn't not go anymore. Hi everyone, welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I'm your host, Robin Tamanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Nick Bogner. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Pasadena, California. Although Nick's clinical focuses are men's issues and codependency, his mission is to help people become who they wish to be, both in self-acceptance and in leading a more exemplary life. Nick also offers action practice building to clinicians who want to take matters into their own hands and fill their caseloads. Nick is looking forward to meeting you and is pretty sure that he already likes you. Hi, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hi, thanks for doing this. I'm excited. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And we're both in SoCal, so this is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Really just next door neighbors. If you take away the 90 minutes of traffic, you know, we're practically right there. Right, right. Well, I'm so glad to have you on, um, especially to talk about you know different things. Um, I have a lot of questions, so we'll go through your stuff. I, I do want to ask questions about codependency, but first I'm really curious about um, men's mental health, specifically, you know, therapy, how men get into therapy, just the whole thing. So for, can, for the listeners, can you explain um, maybe what might lead men to be hesitant about therapy or maybe what may keep them out of therapy? Yeah. So there, we get raised, and I think it's changing now, but we get raised with a lot of really unhelpful sort of beliefs and customs. And um, there are certain things that I think are more culturally based. And then there are certain things that I, I think are pretty, pretty epidemic throughout masculinity, right? And some of them are things like asking for help. We get raised in a lot of ways really not to ask for help and to rely on ourselves and to isolate in that way, which sometimes works and sometimes can leave us really, really desperately afraid. Um, another one is all the stigmas that hit a lot of different people about, um, you know, feeling crazy or, you know, all of the other negative things that people say about therapy in general. I think a lot of us um, don't really know how it works. 
you know, having not been in it before, I certainly didn't know how it worked before I got into it. And, and my dad was a therapist. And like, if that gives you an idea, a, a gifted therapist, and we just didn't really talk about it, I think in part because he worked with people with pretty significant um, mental illnesses, yeah. schizophrenia, you know, really serious psychiatric disorders. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it much. And so I didn't really know how the process went. And so I think when you see it in the movies, um, this person like sort of digs a spoon into your skull and then they make you cry a whole bunch and then you get to be vulnerable and sad. And, and you know, understandably men don't really want that. I didn't want that. I felt like I started therapy on my own. And this is this is one of the things that I think makes me adept at working with men. I started therapy on my own because I was in a different field and I was really miserable. And I finally got to a place where I was so anxious and upset that I just felt like I couldn't not go anymore. And so I signed on with a therapist and it was a kind of a scary and nerve wracking process. But then for me, at least, and granted, I'm a person who eventually became a therapist, even from the beginning, the experience of it was so positive and it felt so good to have somebody who was going to listen to me and keep it a secret. Um, somebody who really cared about me and was going to pay attention to me, somebody who really opened up my mind a little bit that it was like, oh, I need this for the rest of my whole life. But until you've been in that experience, until you've been so desperate that you're forced to go into the room and sit with the stranger, you can never really know how wonderful it is. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And, you know, being a therapist too, like sometimes people come in where it's like, can't take it anymore. It's become so much. So it's like, okay, now I'm going to go, you know, as opposed to like, maybe a few steps back. So for the listeners, you know, and you brought up a good question, you know, and I think it's very common where people are like, I don't even know what this looks like. So mm -hmm. what does therapy, even if it's whether or not it's specific to, you know, men's mental health and men's therapy, what would that look like for the client? Like, what could they expect or what would that experience be? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we know from there's real data on this is that the quality of the relationship between the client and the therapist is the most important factor in whether therapy is effective or not. And so I really try, hopefully, in the screening process to find people who are going to be a good fit for my personality, because whether or not you would believe it, some people are not a good fit for my personality. And I try to use a lot of humor. I try to make, you know, I have a background for many years in hospitality. I try to make people feel really welcome and really comfortable and really seen. And then I think really that's that's the first stage of therapy. You know, we talk about clinical issues. We talk about history. But really what I'm doing for the first however many weeks that I need to do it is really showing this person that I care about them. I see the best in them. Um, and we're going to have an okay time. We're going to have a good time. We're going to laugh sometimes. We're going to talk about stuff that's important. And I think if you can build that relationship, then the rest of it, so much of it is is going to happen the way that it needs to. And I don't mean that I don't think about it, but like, like people are generally trending upwards and people who are going to therapy are generally trending upwards. And so if you show up and you build a strong relationship with them, um, then eventually what's supposed to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm so glad you highlighted that the therapist client fit, like we're all yeah. different, different personalities, you know, but that at least when it comes to outcome, that's like, you know, huge. And I like how you um, debunk that myth that we're just sitting here staring, like no expression. There's fun, you know, there's laughter right. happening, you know, it can, it can be that kind of experience as well. While at the same time, like you said, going in that upward trajectory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny, you know, I, I, I'm always searching for better language around, around the idea of good fit clients, because we talk about it in grad school. And at least in my program, we talked about it in terms of like, um, sort of demographical, uh, social cultural fits, right? Like, um, would somebody who is, um, who is a person of color feel comfortable in the room with me, or would they want somebody who has a sort of a quote unquote better fit? And for some people that's really, really important, right? Or, you know, uh, would somebody, I was raised Catholic, would somebody want to sit with a therapist who was raised Catholic 
to, you know, to have somebody who would know that experience. And then also on an informal basis, and I know you and I have both attended programs on this, um, you know, there's a real meaning of sitting in the room with somebody who is going to just like you and who is going to want to talk to you. And I, I'm sure you've been in the business long enough to have had the experience where you sit in an intake with a person and you're talking with them and you're really trying to build rapport with them and you can just tell they don't like you. Or at least maybe you haven't. You're pretty magnetic. <laughs> but I certainly have had that moment where you say something and you just see the look on the person's face like, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for like, it. Fuck. Like you can tell that they're like, oh Jesus, how do I get out of this thing? And then I just want to say, like, it's okay. I'll send you just I know so many good therapists. I'll, you know, from for me all across the world, I know great therapists. I'll send you just somebody good. You're not trapped in here with me. And so it's I feel like it's a, cons a constant sort of um process for us to keep trying to find people who are going to be good fits both clinically and then you know for the issues that we want to work on with them. Um socioeconomically, if, you know, demographically, if that stuff's important to this particular client. And then also just personally, somebody who's going to be happy to, to be with you. you know? Yeah. I've experienced it too. I am not exempt. From I'm that. so and comforted. I've, and I've seen it on the face and I'm like, and, and, you know, and I feel it. I think those of us who, you know, have been, you know, in, or we like listen to our own intuition as a therapist too. I, I do say, how, sometimes I actually check in. I'm like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's a good fit? Cause so, you know, cause I can just, you know, you can just tell in the room sometimes and, and sometimes it just, it just had, it was just differences, you yeah. know, of different styles or, you know, maybe things that were super important to them that I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't know if I, you know, provide that or, you know, yeah. so it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think too, it's important for the listeners to know that like, it's okay. It's not like you're stuck with this one forever. You know, if anything, we can provide linkages to others who may be yeah. like an even better fit. Cause I feel like in the private practice world, at least I'm in orange County and it's, we're all separated by like one to two degrees of separation, even though there's oh, yeah. a lot of us, it is so interesting how we're all <laughs> connected. So, so, um, you would never, you won't be left alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I were even talking earlier that you and I were introduced by a therapist in Toronto. You and I yeah. are, you know, what, 50 miles from one another geographically. Um, I don't think that you had heard of me prior to making the acquaintance and I had not heard of you, but this therapist in Toronto um, hooked us up. And, you know, yeah. as with all things cl uh, clinically or personally, all of the best stuff comes from referrals. So yeah. never be afraid to get a good referral if it doesn't feel like it's clicking with your therapist. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So out of curiosity, um, and there's probably like so many answers to this, but what gets men into therapy? Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of different things that that get men into therapy sort of like on a subject basis. I mean, you know, as with anybody, depression and anxiety are sort of the big ones and men are no strangers to those things. I will say that what affects men more significantly with issues like depression and anxiety is that we get raised with such a limited vocabulary for emotions. Like we really, I had a supervisor who used to say, you know, men are allowed to feel fine, awesome, or pissed. And, and there's a lot of truth to that, right? We might know sort of um, in, a, in a vocabulary sense, we might know the words for all the other feelings, but would we really know if we were feeling those things? And if we were, would we be comfortable talking to somebody else about those things and naming those things to the point where this is a true story. Um, I, I saw my therapist for like a year and I was really convinced for a year and very afraid that she was going to come call me into her office one day and say, I can't work with you anymore because you're a psychopath. 
And it's funny because, you know, that's one of those sort of self-disqualifying questions. Like if you're worried you're a psychopath, you're not a psychopath. Like they don't worry, real psychopaths don't worry about shit like that. But for me, it was like, I don't think I have any feelings. And the truth is I had as many feelings as anybody else. They're all inside me in a swirling mess like they are with all of us. I just had had my access to them and my vocabulary for them cut off at such a young age. You know, you're eight years old, you learn not to cry. And then that part's gone until you, you know, almost literally exhume it from yourself and then you bring it back and you get in touch with it and you learn how to name it you learn how the physical feelings happen in your body and so i think that's a thing where you know men have the same sort of mental health issues that people of all genders have but they really started a disadvantage of not knowing how to talk about it and not knowing really what they're experiencing and then that's why men you know drink themselves you know, the uh, alcoholism is such a high incidence in men. That's why men get super angry and ragey. You know, that's one of those things that happens much higher in men. It's because this is the only thing that they have been practicing for so many years. Yeah, yeah. And so them, you know, going into therapy, I always say, you know, it's um, a huge strength to go into therapy, you know, and also, I mean, this could be so transformative for a person as well. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad I did it. And I often tell clients the joke, like, you know, they call, I say, have you had therapy before? And if they say no, I say, well, that's wonderful. If you're anything like me, you'll like it so much that it'll become your whole career. <laughs> that's a better response than I usually get to it, by the way, that soft yeah. chuckle, but it really is true. I mean, I, for me, it was such a game changer that this was the conversation I wanted to be in all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So for men, what is the, at least when it comes to therapy, you know, that interval or that timeline, what's that kind of look like for them? You, do you mean sort of the treatment? Like, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. It's really, it's really different. And I don't have a great system yet for being able to predict how long it will take. But I will say that like, there gets to be a point where the switch often, the switch flips a little bit between like, I don't know if this is really urgent. I don't really know if I want to be here. You might bring up a story and they might really sort of discount it. Like, I guess I was a little upset at work today and it might be, you know, I was at work today and somebody kicked me in the face. Oh my goodness. That sounds like it really hurt. It was fine. There's, there gets to be a point where um, they start to wait. They start to give weight to their own experiences a little more. And they start to come in and have been thinking about their therapy over the course week. And that's the moment that you can really get into the good work. And then in those moments, then we start introducing the feelings wheel, which is my favorite tool that's available on the internet for everybody for naming feelings. Um, and then you kind of go from there and it really can be different from guy to guy. But I would say the biggest variable with men is how long does it take to build that trust and that rapport? Got it. Okay. Good to know. Any particular obstacles when it comes to therapy? In terms of treating men? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think for instance, I had a um I had a website redesign a few years ago by a marketing consultant. And they were like, listen, you know, we know this. We have the best writing people. The person that that sort of sold me on the package was like, I went to school for therapy. I didn't get licensed, but I know that world. I have all this great stuff. So they wrote this page for me and it was so awful. It was like they didn't know how to talk to men at all. And so there was this one of the paragraphs that I had them change was like. Um, men need a safe space to talk about blah, 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 blah. Now that is factually true, but, but virtually no man is looking for a website that says, come sit in my safe space. Like come here, come here 
other guy that you've never met before and you know you never met before come sit in my safe space and talk to me i'm going to plumb you for your emotions and i'm going to make you talk about stuff that is deeply painful for you and maybe i'll get you to cry like that is a nightmare scenario i might as well tell them i'm gonna stick them in the ribs do you know what i mean so so we changed that to talk about like yeah you sound like maybe you're really miserable right now do you want to feel better because that's a, a language that's more in in sort of line with what how men have been raised to talk for their whole life. So while it's definitely true, that safe space stuff is true and it's real. Um, and we do create a safe space. If somebody isn't already in the world of therapy, then that's going to be a mysterious and maybe off-putting kind of a, kind of a phrase for them. Yeah. Or even what does that mean? You know? Right, so yeah. Yeah. The power. And I think too, I think I'm similar in that, like, I'm really just more conversational. Like I type how I talk, like mm -hmm. I, it's just, you know, and so it's just speaking you know, really casually. And that's, I think more inviting and having, you know, the correct like verbiage that like, how we talk in conversations, right? Yeah, well, and don't you think that, I mean, for me, that really disintegrates the the hierarchy that that is yeah. within therapy, right? That we can't totally do away with, but that thing where we're the yeah. professional in the lab coat with the microscope and we've got everything figured out and then the clients come in and they're these, you know, pathological diseased, you know, specimens. And it's so gross. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I really don't like about that super old style of therapy where people would just come in and the therapist would be a blank slate. I understand why it works, but I think it can be really alienating to people. And so I really love the conversational approach like you're talking about, because it really says, listen, we're two human beings here. We're two people. Um, I'm, I'm here on your behalf, but I'm not acting like I have it all figured out and I'm perfect and you're stupid. <laughs> which I think is kind of the implicit message. Like when, you, when you're calling people patients, like shit, it makes my skin crawl when people say patients. And I'm sorry if you do, I don't, I don't know if that's a phrase. I don't, use, no, I, I don't. Hear it, I think like, yeah, that seems more appropriate to me. Yeah, got it. So shifting gears a little, I know your other um, focus is codependence, codependency. Yes. Let's talk about that. I'm curious, is there, you know, this would be an interesting segue because I know we just talked about men's mental health, you know, mm -hmm. codependency in general versus, or does it look different with men? It can. Um, yeah. So, you know, as we know, for the, for the folks who are the lay folks out in the audience or the folks who aren't totally, you know, attuned to codependency, um, it comes from the world of addiction. And it's the idea um, that sprung up as a person who lived in a home with an addict. And so it was a per the addict was the dependent and the other people were um, codependent. They sort of developed um, beliefs and behaviors, you know, that were in support of the person that is the addict. And so that's the codependency. And of course, as you know, I'm sure you've drawn this line for clients before. Um, it's not the same as enmeshment, which people think of, which is like, all your stuff is my stuff. Everything you feel, I feel that's enmeshment. Right. right? And so codependency really often takes the form of caring for somebody else until it kills you or just really neglecting yourself um, in some painful ways. And some of the beliefs that codependents enter the world with or that they, they learn in their families of origin, one of them that I see all the time is, um, I'm going to take care of you um, all your needs. I'm going to meet all your needs. I'm going to anticipate your needs and I'm going to be there for you whenever you need it. And you're going to do the same for me, right? <laughs> and that's a, a, an agreement that these codependents are, are constantly making with the rest of the world, but the world doesn't know it's a part of. And so it's a recipe for consistent disappointment and consistent frustration because you're constantly taking care of people and constantly being let down by people, right? Another codependent agreement is 
I never asked for anything. So I wouldn't ask you for anything unless I really needed it. So you have to say yes. And again, it's a recipe for disappointment. Like um, I'm going to make up a scenario. Um, you know, Robin, I'm going to be late for this thing, which is actually true, right? I'm going to be late for this for this interview. Um, I, I Can we please move it? And then maybe I have this baked in belief that like, listen, I would never ask you for this unless I need it. So you have to say yes. Now you did say yes, but I, it would be cool if you were like, no, listen, 7.15 is the time, you know, get with it or get packing, right? Which would be totally reasonable. But if I had this belief that you had to do this, then I would be in pain, right? Now it's your question. How does how does being male affect this? As we as we know, men often have a really limited emotional vocabulary and a lot of our sadness, embarrassment, um, humiliation, disappointment, all of the sad stuff gets rounded up to anger and rage. And so as a result, a lot of times, you know, these men have these un, you know, codependent men have these unreal expectations um, and these terrible pains and disappointments in the world. And it comes out as anger. Yeah. And so what I heard you saying, so let's say I said, like you said, oh, you could have said no, get with it. Yeah. I almost think of like boundaries, like yeah. boundary setting. So would that be then the new response? You hope. You hope that it would, and also respecting other people's boundaries. Like in the example I give you would be like taking a piece of news, like somebody saying, no, that doesn't work for me and not going, oh my God, they, they hate me. Mm. Oh my God, this person thinks I'm such a piece of shit. This person doesn't respect me or the betrayed, like, you know, she should change the time for me. That's ridiculous. You know, that's, she owes this to me. 15 minutes is nothing, right? Like there's all of those responses come from a lack of boundaries. Those come from me not making room for you just to live your life how you want to and it not being about me. Right. Yeah. Boundaries in, you know, there's a lot of ways to conceptualize boundaries, but one of the main ones is um, there's your bullshit, my bullshit and the universe's bullshit. And for me to not know the difference between what's your stuff and what's my stuff is sort of the essence of poor boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So boundaries kind of in a way to, are a way to say yes to people. What yes. do you think about that? I love it. I tell people that all the time. Do you tell people that all the time? I want to now. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think we have this notion um, in our minds that boundaries are the same as limits and that when we're setting a boundary, we're always like telling somebody, no, damn it, I'm not doing this. And that's one way to do it. Right. But having healthy boundaries is also accepting no, damn it, and not making a big deal out of it. Right. And so when we set, when, you know, when we have a clear idea of what's your stuff and my stuff in the universe stuff, right? If I say to you, uh, you know, Robin, when you blew your smoke in my face from your cigarette, y'all can't see this. Robin is chain smoking. It's, it's unhealthy. <laughs> Robin, you blew your, and we're in the same room. <laughs> when you, when you, uh, when you blew your smoke into my face, um, that, that really felt bad to me. And I would really like you not to do that. I'm not on some level. You can say, oh, he's setting He's setting the record straight with Robin. He's really laying down the law. But what I'm really saying is I want to be here with you and I want to talk with you. And this is a way that I can be here with a smile on my face is to not have the cigarette smoke going in my face. So with boundaries, there's always a mean way to look at it, but there's always a way that says, listen, I want to be here. This is what it takes for me to be here with a smile on my face. And then if you can stop blowing cigarette smoke in my face, then I'm going to be so right here with you in this conversation. Yeah. And so boundary setting is not, bad thing it doesn't mean you're a bad person or a mean person um or inconsiderate in, in any way it's actually I think it's the opposite yeah i think it's really respectful because let's say that let's say that i don't set boundaries right 
then on some level, I'm not really showing up. I'm giving you, I'm giving you a role that I'm playing. I'm not, I'm not really showing up as Nick. I'm showing up as the Nick that Robin gets to see, right? And then I'm leaving with all of these resentments. But if I'm, if I tell you the truth, if I respect you enough to tell you the truth, then we're going to really get to have a relationship as people. So obviously with all things, there's an art to it and there's an art to doing it gently and considerately. But at the end of the day, if you respect somebody enough to set boundaries with them, then that's going to be a really strong relationship. Yeah. Showing up authentically, being fully yeah. present, enjoying the experience. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Is there anything I didn't bring up that you want to mention? Or no, about? I just, no, I just, it's so delightful. Maybe, you know, if your audience is clinicians, then they'll already know this. It's so delightful when you've just been asking questions all day to show up and have somebody ask you questions. It's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely. To say, so Nick, what do you think about this? Because, you know, <laughs> the process of what we do is leading people through um, their thoughts all the time. So no, I just really appreciate okay. the conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. This was Super helpful, super informative. And I want to have you back to talk about other things. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, this was fun. Um, so for the listeners, if they want to find out more about you, is there anywhere they could go? Website, social media handle? What do you got? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the main presence is on Instagram at, at Nick Bognar MFT. Um, that's where I do my clinical stuff. For those of you who might be clinicians and want to know more about um, practice building, I have a nascent Instagram profile at action practice building. Those are both available. One is certainly more developed than the other. And I'm always happy to hear from, from folks on these topics, even if it's like, Hey, you're a dummy. And I didn't like what you had to say. I will have boundaries around it. And I will, and I will respond delightedly. <laughs> um, I will put those in the show notes. So everyone awesome. can just easily click on it. And then I do want to have you back to talk about um, the practice building. I think that's super important. I think you have some great stuff to talk about. We need more therapists too. And also like, and in a way to either be accessible or like you said, verbiage, you know, inviting too. I think that's like a huge piece, um, especially like website. Cause now that's what that's like imperative. Yeah. Um, so definitely have you back. So thank, thank you, you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure. Uh, thank you. It was the pleasure was all mine. It was a delight. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guest are listed in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram at openmindnightpod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.